0: Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist? Seriously geeky. Episode 60. Geeks of the Roundtable TM The Geeks of the Round Table continued the discussion on the big mind process and the criticisms from Zen teacher Brad Warner. The Geeks focus on these criticisms which include charging for the Dharma, the nature of an authentic transmission, trademarking Dharma practices, ethical issues with marketing the Dharma, and issues of confusing personal psychology with transpersonal states and stages. This is part two of a two-part series. Do you love this show? Support Falling Fruit and advertise your product or service here. For more details, visit fallingfruit.tv slash sponsorship.
1: think of a Korean Zen master that i've always been interested in well always <laughs> for a couple years now <laughs> i've been interested in chanul uh, one of my teachers pointing his work out and he talks about sudden awakening gradual cultivation mm-hmm. i mean and, and during his time there are all these schools that were all about sudden awakening and then they'd say that's it you don't have to do anything else you're Sweet. done
2: goodbye and then they goodbye. were kind of the,
1: they were the mix in in many ways yeah. or, or the mix on in korean and um, <laughs> And so he was saying, yeah, you you can have these, you have to, in, in a sense, have a sudden awakening experience before you really know, you have to get a sense of what the fruit is before you can really get on the path, you know? Totally. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you do have to follow it up with this gradual cultivation. And then there are other schools he was arguing against that were all about gradual cultivation, gradual cultivation. He's like, yeah, they're just running around in circles trying to find something that is already there in a sense.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, it seems like that's a pretty cool middle path type of Teaching right. And it seems like, from what I can tell, Genpo is trying to do that too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like falling in love with the person you end up marrying. That, um, you know, if you don't have that period of romance at the beginning, with the, <laughs> with the hot dates and and the, the wildness, <laughs> then you don't know what you can have in the long term. If you just try to build up slowly, someday we'll fall in love. You know, that's good too. But you got to have both. You got the commitment and the passion mm. um, or the experience and discipline that's yes. what i think at least so i think we've been we've been kind of
1: you know supporting gempo's you know practice and what he's doing so yeah. i thought it'd be useful too to actually take on the perspective of you know just being skeptical like oh well maybe there is i mean let's question should it. Let's we come it.
2: from the voice of the skeptic perhaps <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly well from the voice of duff um <laughs> <laughs> i really love voice dialogue work and i and i love what Gempo's is doing Personally, I haven't experienced the higher transcendent voices as being useful for me, even though I love the work in general. Yet, as a life coach, I've actually recommended the work to some of my clients who found it incredibly valuable. <laughs> Big mind. <laughs> yeah. So the perspective I often hmm. take is, you know, hey, it, it doesn't rock my boat, but it seems to be really effective for some people. So more power to it. You know, I, I take a sort of a flexible Mm. Upaya approach that hey whatever works go for it, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work go find something else.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the teachers we talked to, who I won't mention, they have a firm grounding in tradition in the Tibetan tradition, and they they actually had some really strong critiques of Big Mind and genpo's approach, and had done had tried it. Although I would I would say their reaction was so strong that I question you know whether or not they'd really mm, tried it yeah. with an open mind. Yeah. But That being said, they had some great points about transmission that that basically what Genpo is doing is not the same kind of transmission that happens in the Tibetan tradition, that it's much Mm. more in a private setting and that it sometimes takes years to build up to that with the teacher and that she Mm. basically brought up this criticism of confusing psychological techniques with contemplative techniques. And I thought that was a good Mm. critique. It it made me question the whole thing and Mm. bring it back into light and think about it. And that's the thing with I guess with the voice dialogue is it was originally intended for working with the psyche at the a, level of the ego.
3: It's a Jungian psychoanalytic technique in particular right that was developed to work one-on-one with a client.
1: Right. So mm. so then
3: I think Not that that it can't be expanded but
1: Right, yeah. right. So I mm. think the critique of questioning psychology versus, you know, mm-hmm. contemplative yeah. kind of trans-egoic states and stages like it, I think it's a good one. I I don't I don't know what the answer is and mm-hmm. I suspect yeah. Why, and I suspect they can be integrated. But
2: Yeah. What that just brings to mind for me is, again, you know, what's your view of ego? Are you killing ego or are you trying to befriend ego? Right. And so I think the big mind process is actually trying to befriend ego right. in all of its many, many facets, 10,000 facets of, of the self, the small self, befriending the ego, inviting them all to come along as we ascend into the higher reaches of self which, you know, could be a causal state experience or a non-dual state experience, but bringing everyone along for the ride and not really, you know, being at war with the self, with the ego, but actually befriending it. And that's why I think he tends to, to use that process that kind of befriends the, the fragmented parts of self that, you know, could potentially get in the way of some kind of realized state experience. Mm.
0: The tradition and transmission part, I think, is interesting to ponder I don't know 100%, though, about what that person was saying, Vince. Um, Yeah. I mean, I get get where they're falling. You know, I get what um, they're saying, I think, about... And I think there's a question about when someone is exposed. That's still a question that's open for me. I know that in the West, though, that's... It definitely changed. I mean, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, which was the example, is that people are pointing out instructions right and left. Right. So I don't know that the teachers are doing it. I'm assuming that they're thinking that's not necessary. That person has to go through all that. I think there's probably some validity to exposing people later and probably has a higher impact on them when they get those kind of instructions. Right, right. And I think there's a, you know, as we were saying, it's good to question something that's happening that's new and that's innovative and changing from tradition. I also think that there's just tons of, you know, I don't know if this is off the topic a little bit from what you were saying, Vince, but there's also lots of of just random crazy practices that people (laughs) do to do point out instructions. I can attest to that. I mean, I've just been given so many transmissions for practices that are just freaking bizarre i'll just be honest you know <laughs> and they you know it doesn't seem like there's this one special way of doing that that's i guess that's my point and so mm. that's maybe on in, you know favor of gimpo's unique pulling a new technique out and trying it um i mean there's still a question about the psychological and and uh, transpersonal or trans egoic piece but i don't know
2: i guess i'm just curious how you guys are using the word transmission Because in terms of the big mind process, I wouldn't necessarily call that transmission.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's a whole other question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the way I've heard the big mind process described, I mean, transmission usually, I mean, Tibetan Buddhism means that there's something really happening from the teacher to you that's Mm -hmm. Mm non-conceptual, even though they might be using words and pointing, you know, the instructions are pointing out. But Mm -hmm. at the moment when... When there's some sort of experience, it's like that's considered a transmission that's happening non conceptually. Yeah. So that's usually how it's used. Okay. I think there's another use of transmission in terms of like passing down instructions and right, teachings. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, which is a little bit different. It's
2: like esoteric and
0: right. Right. Even intimate though,
2: like, and private. And... Yeah. And yeah. some,
1: yeah, most cases the stories seem to be that way where you know the teacher will go and whack you on the head and all of a sudden you'll like get oof, it, right? <laughs> <And> transmitted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the tradition if you can call it that, that I'm part of, is transmitted through audio and video cassette. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> totally different. You, you get the hit of Big Mind when you're listening to Goenka chant. On video. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, so you're saying basically there's some part of the Big Mind process that's not necessarily a transmission. It's not like Gempo's himself... Or whoever's conducting it, because many people conduct Uh, the... And Hamilton.
2: I I wouldn't say that. I mean, again, I'm just a lowly Buddhist student, (laughs) (laughs) not an authority on anything at all. But Mm -hmm. uh, the way I see it, I wouldn't call big mind process a transmission. I think it's more Roshi leading you to yourself.
3: Right. Yeah. Which
2: I think is different than transmission.
3: Right. It's more of a state access. Yeah. I really do
2: think it's just a state.
3: Whether it's ego, you know, whether you're in the ego voices or the trans-ego, egoic, transpersonal mm-hmm. voices, it's just go into the state.
2: That's yeah, and the other the thing about big mind is you actually really have to fully give yourself to the process. You can't just half-ass it; it doesn't work. So, mm-hmm. however much you know intention you're putting into to the process, I think is equal to the amount that you get back. So, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: that's a good point. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, having done the process, when I heard the criticisms from that teacher, and uh, I was thinking. Well, I mean, from the perspective of that process, she was in some voice that she wasn't willing to get out of. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that could be the reason from that perspective that she wasn't able to access these other voices. Yeah. And so I certainly thought about that. But it's always tricky, you know, looking at things from the perspective of that thing because it's almost impossible to ever be
3: wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So so what do you guys think about the other claims about... It seems like there's some other pieces from Brad... Just to be fair to his perspective, um, one of them is that Big Mind costs a lot of money or that Buddhist teaching, implied in that, seems like Buddhist teaching should be free. Right. Um, I know we covered that a little bit at, on Buddhist Geeks before. And the other bit about Buddhist teachers shouldn't be famous. And it seems like is implied in that as well, although he didn't say that directly. And what about marketing Buddhism? Is it ethical to market Buddhism or is it unethical to not market Buddhism?
1: So what was the first question
3: I oh, like sorry. Question I asked many Come on, we're simple people here. First question. <laughs> Buddhist practice should it be free? Should it be free? Oh my gosh. Yeah, especially we... new techniques, right? <laughs> well, and, and and to
1: be fair to to Genpo's process, he he does offer a lot of scholarships and things scholarships
2: like that. Scholarships and suggested donation. Right. Doesn't necessarily right. Yeah, apply I don't actually to like to pay. It was kind
0: of like a no, I mean, a duh thing. I was like how is this different than any any other dharma that i've seen that's
2: right now I in the west? Yeah. I mean yeah. do you pay to go on retreat? Yeah, most
0: absolutely.
3: most retreats.
2: Although, yeah, it's, you know, although I would say it's like,
1: Although I would say that i've i've wanted to go to gempos retreats and it's it's been about four or five times more expensive than the mm. ones i tend to go on so yeah. mm. the well, system history. is definitely different in terms of the price but i also have heard from you and from other people that if you really don't have the financial resources
0: the community oh, that, is very open. Yeah, they
2: work with you. I think right.
1: the potential, you know, the problem that that's added to this
0: is the whole trademarked TM sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's... I mean, we can debate that, but I actually had a thought about that because obviously that, that really struck a chord with Brad because he, yeah. his title of the post was Big Mind TM is a Big Load of Horseshit TM. Right. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, yeah. But the funny thing is, so TM is a Western way of saying, listen, don't use this name without permission. But is it really any different? Just the Buddhist traditions just don't have TM. Why as well just
1: call it Transmission? Transmission.
0: TM. Right. <laughs> TM. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you can't... And like for example, the Tibetan tradition, you can't just go around saying I'm a Nyima teacher yeah. without getting a bunch of shit from really. that tradition. So like everything else is TM'd. For example, lineage holders, you're TM'd.
1: Well, that's the thing. So like it's <laughs> kind of funny because that's true. Brad Warner, his teacher Jabala said you can teach. <laughs> right. So he is, I mean, a trademarked in a sense. I mean, he was given the authority to teach, and if. And he would shoot down anyone who just started teaching and didn't have any authority, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, so he'd true. be like, hey, wait a second, that's fishy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: so it seems like there's some contradiction there with the TM thing. Uh,
2: I don't really know much about it other than it's a process that he invented that he you know, wants to keep under the umbrella of him and his sangha. And he actually just gave Shiho to Diane Musho Hamilton-sensei and she was the first big mind lineage holder Mm -hmm. so it's a lineage in itself and it's also a process that could you know potentially be used by anyone like you could go to a big mind retreat or you know one day kind of workshop see the process and then go out and, and claim to be a facilitator yourself right right and the danger with that is you actually need to be very in touch with your voices because as you know i've went to the big mind facilitation retreats where I actually, you know, get in front of the room and facilitated. So knowing, knowing how it works in a certain way, you actually have to be able to be in the voice at the same Mm -hmm. time as be outside of the voice to be able to work with the room and to be able to, you know,
3: help people out where they're at. I think it's totally legitimate to um, have some sort of safeguard around anything that works even at the psychological level, let alone at the transpersonal level. I mean, there's just so many things that can go wrong when you start getting into voices. People can flip out or, yeah. or do something crazy.
0: I mean, that's what I was saying. I think, like, what you described, like, there's a lot of important things that need to be in place for someone to do this. Yeah. And that's the protection about that. I think the other piece why, you know, so I think that's no reason to to kind of diss this TM thing. I think the other part is it screams of business. And there's a real big problem right. with Dharma mm-hmm. and business and mm-hmm. sustainable uh, Dharma yeah. centers where people see TM. I mean... I'll be honest, like, yeah, I'm, TM doesn't bother me. If I wanted to look at a name and make it prettier, I would take the TM off because, I don't know, it's just aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. But, like, there's no real problem for me. That's when TM's something. I'm surprised there's not, if everything else in Dharma in the West is TM, whether they show it or not. Well, um, gen- yeah. generally
2: speaking, there seems just to be big issues with the integration of money in, in, in and yeah. Dharma yeah. in yeah. general. Right. So, right. you know, what's what's going on around that? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Why?
3: Because money is evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I
1: mean it's an issue we've we've dealt with here for, with Buddhist geeks too, and um, in that when we moved to this larger falling fruit kind of platform, yeah. immediately because the the website was much nicer and there are other things going on and advertisements that immediately we got yeah. criticized.
2: Yeah, and and, and, and it's like
1: because we're offering something related to Buddhism and at the same time there's money involved.
2: Yeah, I just and, think
1: people like it hidden, really honestly, because so many like
0: wisdom totally. publications like what? And i mean you
3: buy a, bo- a book on dharma you're contributing to the capitalist pigs <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's true there's just so much
0: around yeah. that that like is so dharma business that people have a problem with buying your cushions you know buying your dharma supplies yeah, buying your dharma books the
2: whole notion of right livelihood and, you know yeah. how to how to work with that right. and you know people need to live and honestly
0: yeah, i mean definitely. and even that being true it still seems like Gimpo is approaching it the same as every other dharma teacher i've seen like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a difference there might be a difference a little bit in price for some of the things obviously sure but i've seen plenty of things that cost like i want to go do uh like a dream yoga retreat with Tenzin wangyo rinpoche it's gonna cost me yeah <laughs> you know a lot and he's a traditional yeah German teacher no, yeah you know,
2: no. the way i see money in dharma is money is kind of just energy it's an energetic ex- exchange and so if you don't actually kind of give something over energetically or really plant your spine in something that you're doing, mm. you're not going to receive the fruits of that, you know, without making some kind of offering or gesture. So I see money in the Dharmic world as just an energetic exchange, kind of offering yourself over to something greater than you that you actually are going to receive greater benefit from.
0: Right. And this is something that definitely will be familiar with in that, like, mm. there's plenty of research that says that unless people pay for, say, therapy in some form, even if they paid a dollar over coaching, they actually... They do worse. Yeah. With not, with not paying. I mean, literally, it's like mm-hmm. shown. Yeah. They could do comparisons.
3: <laughs> yeah. That was actually my personal experience. I was trying to break into life coaching. I was giving away sessions for free. And then it occurred to me to charge $1. Um, and immediately, people showed up to appointments on time and mm-hmm. uh, were much more committed. And they actually gave me more than $1. They They're like, oh, well, it's worth a lot more than that. And I didn't ask for any more than $1. I said, $1 is good. People were giving me 20s. Just, Ooh,
2: just to give some kind of offering or stake right? yeah. some kind of claim towards something actually changed the, the dynamics of, of the relationship and what you're receiving. I think it's mm-hmm. really important.
3: Yeah. On the other hand, on the high end of coaching, I've done coaching with people who charge $150 an hour and um, what happened to me then is I would I would project greatness onto them because of the high price tag. Mm-hmm. And True. so they, there can be a high end that actually hurts the experience. Mm-hmm. That And like similarly, I think In the Buddhist tradition, it may be more like a cult scenario. Like if you dedicate your entire life to something in a way that actually doesn't work well for your life, Mm. um, and you dedicate more than you'd want to, I think it could hurt you. Yeah. That's a good point.
1: And there's always the barrier of, uh, accessibility, like how cheap does something need to be for certain kinds of people that don't have tons of money to actually have access Mm -hmm. to it. And Mm -hmm. that's, it seems like in principle, that's why there's this idea of the Dharma being offered freely and... Why so many teachers Mm -hmm. appreciate it. You had another good question, though, Def. What was the so that was the
0: um, thing around
3: marketing (laughs) or promoting Buddhist practice or even new techniques? Yes. um, Marketing. You know, some people seem to think that it's unethical to market a technique as being effective. (laughs) You know,
2: this technique sucks. Don't do it. Yeah.
3: Um, And I wonder if it's unethical to not market. What? notice <laughs> techniques that are effective going back to the tm thing i think some listeners might have
0: just thrown up in their mouth when you said market <laughs> and buddhism in the same sentence it's like market <laughs> buddhism
3: like yeah, well, oh, by marketing, you know by marketing i mean in just a general way uh, kind of the definition <laughs> that seth godin gives which is to promote an idea and we're promoting ideas right now just by talking about them every time you say you know vipassana is great you're marketing you're marketing right. the technique of Vipassana. Mm-hmm. you're not even if you're selling somebody on it even if you don't benefit financially at all mm-hmm. yeah, there's sure. a lot of baggage
0: with those words I mean I felt that way about marketing until probably until I met you <laughs> and you know I started being exposed to other marketing books where they actually use different words and so it's like a little bit of semantics I think and then like oh yeah well of course it's like whenever I recommend anything or say hey, this is really good you should try this out yeah it's marketing and that's uh-huh. a it's a good it can be a good and healthy thing versus like you know, thing like marketers are just out to get you. And so, like, when anything kind of looks explicitly like marketing, like, for example, the experience of a Zen master, you know, it speaks a little bit more to marketing. People automatically sure. may have a reaction to say, mm, hmm, that's bullshit, you know, because. Yeah. Well, that kind of
3: goes along with the territory of promoting anything or persuading anybody yeah. on anything, right. is that it has been so used by ego for selfish purposes that mm. we are rightly skeptical, especially in the United States, where we have a lot of marketing being bombarded Mm. with constantly things that are not in our best interest to purchase or consume. Mm. Um, You know, pretty much everything that's marketed on television is bad for you. That's a good point. So, but as far as Buddhist techniques, I mean, is there any Buddhist technique that's bad for you?
0: And is there any that's not really marketed anyways? I I think you're right. I think the cool question, I think it is ethical to market and it just happens anyways, I think it's just taking on Western forms. That's what I, I keep thinking now that I'm talking about it more and more. I think there's just Western forms, but Buddhism has been marketed for friggin' ever. Like, you know, like, Shamata, do it. It's great for you. It's good. You'll, you know, develop concentration. They just don't put it in the quotes and put it on a card or, you know.
2: Yeah. If, if, if the Dharma wasn't marketed, it wouldn't even made it to the West. Right. You know, we mm-hmm. wouldn't even be here right now having this conversation if totally. there wasn't marketing yeah. involved. And yep. mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with marketing per se. I guess you know there comes into questions how something's marketed. True, you know, so that kind of brings it more into question, and yeah, like, then there's you know the vow I vow not to be stingy, especially with the dharma. How do I get the, how do I get it out there? How do I make the seed yeah. flourish in the West? Especially right now, it's having such a hard time. I know in Japan, Zen you know is is um, facing a certain death of the tradition in a certain way, and mm-hmm. and um, to keep that seed kind of going, it was brought over to the West, and then how to kind of give that to Westerners who culturally are completely opposite of the Japanese Mm -hmm. in terms of discipline and you know self-study.
3: Right. David Data has a book out right now called Instant Enlightenment Fast Deep and Sexy. (laughs) Talk about marketing the Dharma. (laughs) Um, It doesn't seem like it's actually a particularly Buddhist book either like when you read through it but most people when they think about selling the Dharma that's where it goes in their mind and they're like okay well that seems really over the top. Not only is it enlightenment instant enlightenment and it's associated with sexuality in a way that may be inappropriate um Mm. it has nothing necessarily to do with say shamatha or vipassana practice and may be opposed to it if you take a precept on for instance abstaining from sexual misconduct Mm. what do you guys think about associating sexuality with the dharma and marketing it
0: yeah i think it might be a little too soon for that if it were ever appropriate i don't really know I mean, it's hard to tell, especially with the skillful means part. I mean, right. kind of that skillful means piece always leaves like every single door open. <laughs> like no door can be closed, but it yeah. might be a little too soon in Buddhism's development in the West to do that sort of thing. Yeah, And I think it is, it's is—it's healthy to question the authenticity of the marketing being done, which I think is what happened with The Big Mind. That's an example. People are yeah. questioning the principles behind it. But what I'm interested in is, is piecing out the shallow criticism or like shallow reasons why someone might call it inauthentic, like just doubt that's not backed by reason just automatically like, Oh, it's Gimpo, And you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't buy it. They don't give you have to give someone a chance. I I think it's totally fair to call into question like, well, is what they're saying, is that appropriate the way that he worded that? Maybe Mm -hmm. actually, I mean, I still not, I'm still debating whether the way that it's worded, that advertisement, it possibly could be worded a little bit better. That makes it a little bit more authentic, but there's the issue of like, but does it need to be a little bit flashier to get people to, to come to it? And there's, and then, yeah, one thing, which I'll let you go, but, um, is the bait and switch that I know, um, Vince has talked about. So maybe some <laughs> stuff going on with that, you know, mm. getting people in and then
1: switch it on and, and yeah, get them in with the idea of Kensho and Satori and then switch it with some actual um,
3: ha ha ha, All life is suffering.
2: Ha, ha ha you have to sit.
1: <laughs> ha ha ha, like you can have a brief glimpse of, of some freedom from identification, but now it's, now it's something that you need to get back to. <laughs>
3: Yeah, in, in some ways, all Buddhist promotion or marketing or techniques um, is that bait and switch. You know, yeah, freedom like, from suffering. Freedom from suffering, damn That's, that's a huge awesome. claim, dude. Yeah, still haven't had it for a few retreats. <laughs> <laughs> Feels pretty, I mean, it's, well, yeah. the techniques are definitely still valuable, and that's the thing. I mean, it's really tricky, it seems to me. I mean, when I really check in with myself, like, because I have brought, and brought to Buddhist practices and literature and dharma through often flashy things. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot came from Ken Wilber, who's an expert at being flashy. (laughs) He has a thick book on philosophy called Sex, Ecology, and Spirituality. There's no reason to put sex in the title at all. It's hardly about sex. That's a good Um, point. I never thought about it. I just like, that's a good title. (laughs) It was a damn good title and sold me. Um, And it's a great book, too. Uh Yeah, and I was sold on going on a Vipassana course because of how powerful the experience was for people I know who've gone on many courses um, and they told me about the the pain. I mean, to be honest, yeah. And that has been a little different than some of this marketing stuff. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I wonder. You know, how much should we, when we're promoting wonderful things, wonderful dharma, should we say? And it's excruciatingly painful, and you should still do it. Right. right. <laughs> That's what Vince does.
1: Yeah. I I've, lately, I I've, <laughs> I I don't know. Lately, maybe I've shifted again. But yeah. I for a while there, I wouldn't. If someone was interested in practice i'd be like yeah you know listen to them not really suggest anything but just if they really seemed interested to be like well i'll give you the fair perspective one on the one hand like yes enlightenment's possible you can do these techniques they will get you enlightened and you, you can't really know what that means until you get there mm. or until you realize what what that is and in the process like there are periods of death and dying that happen on many different levels yeah and that's not exactly very fun or yeah. even useful in the real world. <laughs> and that <laughs> sometimes people sometimes people have deep insights and then they get into a period of death mm-hmm. and they actually don't know a way, a way to get out and I think sometimes that's because they don't have good guidance or but oftentimes it's because Buddhism's marketed in such a way that people come to it and they give themselves to it and then they they find themselves in this difficult territory and then don't have the correct guidance or mm. I don't know.
3: That seems the main danger of marketing or promoting Buddhism as freedom from suffering or a way to be happy, is that it can set you up for not realistically dealing with the stages that can be really painful. Right. Or the deep stuff that well, can come to the surface.
0: I think that's follow through more than marketing. I mean, and that may be a question yeah. of how Western Buddhism is being established, if it's and right now it's pretty loose, you know, whereas I think really in past times It's been more intimate and you've had more access to the teacher. So I think that's less to do with the marketing versus like having someone there to hold your hand, you know, to the point that you need to. But I think the bait and switch, you know, is unavoidable. And it's because you can't, I mean, in favor of the gradual path, you have to experience things first before you really get what's coming next. I mean, that's at least been described a lot in Tibetan Buddhism. So, for example, going through the Yana's. They'll you go to the Hinayana. They tell you this one thing, and then they just say, "Just kidding," you know. And then (laughs) they go to (laughs) Mahayana, and then it's like, and then they go, and then even in Tibetan Buddhism, they'll go one step further, Vajrayana, fool you again, you know. And so you just can't get to those things. And even the five paths are laid out like where the first two, are, you're just conceptually guessing, but they're saying your guessing is pretty close conceptually, and you still won't fully know until you have that direct experience. Mm -hmm. So the bait and switch just seems to make sense that you're just you're kind of getting some idea, and it sounds really good. And you get on there, and then they start giving you the insight (laughs) to what's really going on, you know?
3: In some ways, life is a bait and switch, though. I mean, (laughs) here we're all promised great things in every aspect of our lives. And if we believe that too much, then we don't face some of the harsh truths of reality that Buddhist practice is pointing out to us, like impermanence, suffering, and no self. Those Mm -hmm. things are there whether we... Take the Buddhist bait and switch and practice or not, right. and we suffer regardless.
2: Yeah, I guess in terms of the bait and switch, there's you know the intrinsic bait and switch that we're all talking about, and then there's the intention to actually do a bait and switch.
1: Right. Which, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like most teachers don't.
2: It's not like, hey, most teachers know, don't. I'm want going that. to do this. It's. I think it's more of an intrinsic kind of yeah. part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And not really malicious in terms of the intention of actually being cognizant that I'm going to, you know, premeditate this bait and switch on you.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think, I don't, yeah, even when I was saying bait and switch, it didn't feel like a negative thing to me because actually I think teachers are aware of it consciously, but the part we were saying earlier is the follow through is like when they tell you something, their, their intention is to be there lovingly with you through that path. So when they say, yeah, come here, like Buddhism is great. You're going to have great experiences. You're going to have I mean, they, they're aware that they're doing that and they're aware that there's more things that are coming that are going to rock your world that you're not aware of right now, but they're going to mm-hmm. do it the whole, they're there with you the whole time. Yeah. So I just, I, when I say that, I think it's very benevolent.
2: It's like know. a long-term relationship. Yeah, you right. know, it's so great. You know, you have all the sex, there's this whole love bliss state, <laughs> and <Woo-hoo>! you know, <laughs> later down the road, there's a lot of pain.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is.
2: You know, so it's the same kind of thing in, 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 you know, the bait and switch or Buddhist teachers, you know, inviting people to come and, well, having. Know, these huh. claims of no suffering or whatever.
1: When you're saying you earlier before you started recording that you'd like to be closer to to your teacher in that community, and that there's something nice about being a part of the community. I think maybe yeah. just the fact that there are so many teachers teaching in different places, and oftentimes we go. You know, like for instance, I go to Massachusetts or to California to go do retreats with mm-hmm. teachers, and I rarely sit with the same teachers more than once or twice, um, and I only see them a couple times during the retreats, and so. I can see in, in a lot of traditions where there isn't that kind of constant uh,
2: yeah. relationship that one night can, stand.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just the way certain of the traditions are structured. For, for instance, the Goenka tradition. Mm-hmm. I mean, Duff's never even met Goenka, but yeah. he's seen his audio and video tons of times. Yeah. And so it's, Although it's different.
3: There are assistant teachers that you can access, but I've actually never contacted them in between courses. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think it just goes back to the intimacy thing with what we're doing here in the West. I just don't think we've fully yeah. established it yet. And I think there's some practitioners, like, I mean, I think Vince, you're a very independent, strong practitioner that you keep following up with things, but you even have a good relationship, like, for example, with Daniel Ingram, who you touch base with, right? who, mm-hmm. who help you a lot. And sure. I think there's probably, that there's some fear with that that may happen with the whole marketing thing and the bait and switch is like, mm-hmm. are you going to be there for me? It's kind of like uh, students going to a large college, you know, the mm-hmm. college might, yeah. university yeah. might be like, oh, come here. You're going to get a great experience, everything. And you get there and you're just like, Cow in the herd, and there you have no personal experience. Student
3: number five eight three
0: nine. It's exactly like that. I mean, I, I worked at CU before, and that's that's a huge school. And so you know, there's maybe some experience that people having with that getting lost in the, the whole dharma thing. You know, uh, yeah.
2: And Roshi, you know, is in Salt Lake City and has the Kansai On Zen Center. And I've seen a number of people, you know, do a work one day workshop and then actually come to the center and, and mm-hmm. hang out there for the week or do a mm-hmm. retreat, either more formal rigorous zen retreat or you know the big mind retreats and you know he's there every single day and mm-hmm. so he, he actually makes himself pretty, pretty available yeah. um in ways that i haven't seen other teachers do right as much you know they have assistant teachers or they have senior students even
0: right you know fi- right. fulfilling
2: those roles where roshi actually you know is in the zendo no sitting every day right. you know wow. with you yeah
3: i think that's great and just hearing that I'm even more in support of him charging or asking for a high suggested donation. I mean, cause if it can support that kind of community, I think that's really powerful and it takes a lot of money to run a building and run a center and have mm-hmm. an organization. Um, you know, people who are in the Christian tradition end up tithing or donating fair amounts of money. Or if they don't, the churches are often in financial peril constantly, mm, yeah. even though there's hundreds or thousands of community members um, if there's not a financial con- contribution there, then you can't have a regular minister or a regular Zen teacher who's just hanging out and is available. Right. Geeks, geeks of the Round, of the round, round table. Table. The table. The table that's round. This geeks, geeks. Geeks, geeks of the Round, of the round, round. Table.